Super Talk Mississippi media production. What's the key to a quick and fun travel escape? Enjoy public art outside or outsider art inside and refresh your sense of history with awe-inspiring parks and museums. Vicksburg is the key to the South. Twelve weeks to the start of the college football season here in Mississippi, which means on Thunder and Lightning, we start our opponent previews. And as always, we go back to front. So that means we get the joy talking about college football's best rivalry here on the first. Wait, I thought you wanted to talk about Live. Oh, I'm going to talk about a far more bitter rivalry. And there will never be a merger between Mississippi State and Ole Miss the way there was with PG, the PGA and the Live Golf Tour. It's Egg Bowl time. It's Michael Borky from Sports Talk Mississippi. Let's just get right into it. Last year, I thought that result was incredibly surprising in Oxford. I, I did not think Mississippi State was going to win that game. And I thought the, the biggest surprise was how well Mississippi State played defensively and how they they shut down Quinshawn Judkins in a way nobody else had been able to, and they dominated Ole Miss at the line of scrimmage. When you look back a year ago at what happened that night in Oxford, which you know we're going to look back a lot on Mike Leach's final game as Mississippi State head coach due to tragic circumstances, what stood out to you the most as you were watching that game? You know, it's crazy. It wasn't the football game. It was Lane Kiffin. Yeah. And, I mean, that's that night was so bizarre because there was a football game and a, a, a bitter rivalry at that. And Ole Miss lost the football game. And all anybody wanted to talk about after the game was, well, is Kiffin actually staying or not? I mean, it's like the game was secondary to people's mind because of the drama that had happened and what? the I mean, it really happened the week before mm-hmm. and then really picked up on that Monday. And that's all anybody was really talking about. It, it was the, the strangest egg bowl that I've ever been a part of. I moved here. Oh, man. In the fall of 2010. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, and some of the freeze ones were what they were, but that was the most bizarre post-game reaction to an Egg Bowl I've ever seen from the Ole Miss side because people were, they were just mad at everything, not even about the game. It was like, this guy's going to leave for Auburn and he leaves by losing the Egg Bowl at home. That was just like a secondary piece to the, the Lane Kiffin saga, which of course, ended the way it did. But yeah, physically, Ole Miss got whooped that night. And in part because Mississippi State had and and has probably the most underrated front six in the SEC, if not the entire country, uh, and whooped Ole Miss up front that night. And they couldn't really do anything as a result. I, I mean, I, I saw some people criticize the, the game plan after the game. And my reaction was, hey, look, you know, criticize Lane Kiffin for how he's handling the Auburn stuff, but how many coaches can win when they're getting beat that badly up front? I mean, what what can you call that works when you're getting your you-know-what's kicked as bad as they did all night? Mm-hmm. Let's look at now. Now we're here with Ole Miss. Uh, another year of, you know, rebuilding their team through the transfer portal, so a lot of new faces. But offensively, the two main faces return, Jackson Dart, and Quinshawn Judkins. Those guys, I think, are going to be potent offensively. But when you look at the receiver position for Ole Miss, you know, last year they had a couple of SEC-proven guys with Malik Heath and Jonathan Mingo, and those guys delivered for them. They had good seasons. This year, it's, it looks like they're relying on some new faces, some guys from Conference USA who put up gaudy numbers over there, but not SEC-proven. Are you concerned about the receivers at Ole Miss? So uh, 
I like what they have, but I I don't think I love what they have. If that makes sense, I yeah. I like when when you can, for example, the guy that that they just added. Uh, we talked about on the radio show yesterday is Akari Franklin. I mean, he's a back to back thousand plus yard receiver in in the conference USA. But at least uh, you have film of him playing. You know, good teams. It he had a really good game against Houston last year, for example, which is not the SEC, but still, I mean. He he is a highly productive wide receiver, so you know at least you have solid, if nothing else. But that's kind of what the room is right now. It's Jordan Watkins, I think, is the most overlooked player on this team. He got hurt uh, for a period last year. Uh, he was a Louisville transfer for whatever that's worth because that's how they uh, build the roster. But um, he was really solid for Ole Miss last year. And because he got hurt, the numbers don't match up, plus Mingo and Heath being there, as you mentioned, uh, th- that's a guy that nobody's talking about that I think you'll look up and he'll have like 800 yards receiving next year and and he won't be a household name, but he can be that guy. But outside of him, it's two guys that played in the Conference USA, really productive, but that's where they played. Dayton Wade, who flashed in his very limited options for Ole Miss last year, the walk-on or former walk-on, maybe they've given him a scholarship by now. Jalen Knox, who was a Missouri transfer that has yet to produce at Ole Miss, spent most of last season hurt, uh, had a good spring for whatever that's worth, but a lot of people do, and then a true freshman. So it's Jordan Watkins and then a bunch of dudes that have not done it in an Ole Miss uniform. It is fascinating. They've done it, just not at Ole Miss. So we'll see if it translates. It looks like it's talented and experienced, but I don't see, you know, Aiden Williams can become that guy, the, the the true freshman, but I don't see a Jonathan Mingo, an A.J. Brown, or, or any of these recent Ole Miss receivers that went early in the draft on this team right now. I don't see that right now. Offensive line, you mentioned you know a few minutes ago the way State was able to manhandle them. They bring back a lot of experience from guys who played a season ago. Losing Nick Broker is a blow there. That was the most. That was probably the best guy of that group, but. Up front, they look like they should be a group that can protect uh, Jackson Dart. And from the running game, we know that they're going to be good there. But do you have any concerns there as well on the offensive line? Yeah, of course, because of... uh, See, Jackson Dart did one thing really, really well last year, and he was really good in the pocket. Now, you know, his game obviously wasn't anywhere close to perfect, but he masked a lot of their issues on the offensive line. If you look at, like, their sack numbers, for example... You would think they'd be great at protecting the quarterback. They were not great at protecting the quarterback. Dart was just, that's one thing he does really well is he's elusive uh, in the pocket. So it's the same guys minus one. They've added a transfer from uh, UAB, uh, Quincy McGee, who's from Hattiesburg for what it's worth, but uh, they've added him. They they added a Washington transfer on the offensive line. Uh, You know, it's the same guys, though. So will they take a step forward? I know they fired their offensive line coach. And speaking of NC State, uh, I say speaking of NC State, I was looking at uh, – anyway, sorry, yeah. getting off track. But yeah. uh, they hired NC State's offensive line coach, who two years ago had um, – what is it? Iki Ikunu, uh, who got drafted by the Panthers. Yes. Uh, yes. And so – um, they really like him, but but we'll see. It's largely the same guys. How much of a difference does a new offensive line coach actually make? We're about to see. Defensively is where all of my questions about Ole Miss lie. Uh, when you look at the, the yardage they gave up 
a, a season ago. I mean, 457 yards to Tulsa, 403 yards to Vanderbilt. That's not great as in and of itself. But then you play Auburn, 301 yards rushing, 441 yards of offense, 500 yards of offense to uh, to LSU, 480 to Texas A&M. Actually played pretty well defensively against Alabama, all things considered. Some, some turnovers cost him there. We all saw what happened in the Arkansas game. And then against Mississippi State, you know, they gave up 97 yards rushing, but you and I both know that sack adjusted. State was well over 100 yards with Dylan Johnson and Marks. And now State's going to be more of a running team this year. Is Ole Miss going to be able to stop teams this year? I really feel like this is not a, a good defense when I look at them on paper. Yeah, uh, that's the million-dollar question. How quickly can Pete Golding's new scheme uh, make them better? And, and there's something that I've pointed to 100 times, and I keep going back to it because I, I think it's really, really important. Uh, Sam Pittman was basically trolling the Ole Miss defensive staff during that game. Mm-hmm. His halftime interview and his postgame interview, he basically said, well, they lined up with negative numbers in the box, and so we just ran right at them. And then they just, they're not adjusting, so we're just going to keep running at them. And they're not adjusting, so we're just going to keep running at them. It was just a math equation, and he was kind of like, had this half smile explaining it like those guys are idiots. They're losing the numbers battle. And I don't care if you have the best players in the world, when you've got fewer of them in the box than your opponent, they're still going to beat you running the football. So uh, it depends on how quickly this team can learn a new scheme and if they have the personnel to run it. Because I, I do think Pete Golding is an upgrade uh, from Chris Partridge. He's got years of experience doing it as opposed to Partridge's just one year of doing it and that one year didn't go well and and look I don't think he's going to have top 10 defenses every year at Ole Miss in the same way uh, that he did at Alabama the personnel is different and it's just not going to go down that way Uh, but can he make them competent and that answer is uh, you hope not you the state fan listening to this the, the thousands of you listening right now hope that it doesn't work out um, but the Old Miss fan hopes that the the new scheme can mask some of what happened last year. Also, they portaled well, but they portaled well now. And so you've got a bunch of guys that are going to join this team after spring practice in the summer. Can a guy like Isaac Ukwu, uh, the former first team all Sunbelt guy from a year ago from James Madison, the, the edge, can he come in, learn the system, acclimate, and and be an impact guy that quickly. That's a lot to ask. Now, he's a good player. James Madison is not in the SEC, obviously, but he can help this team. Stephon Wynn can help this team. He's recorded stats in five different college football seasons, four of which at Alabama. Uh, so, so he can help right away, but how quickly can some of these guys acclimate? They, by my count, so they got two defensive backs in, in the post-spring portal. Three defensive linemen in the post-spring portal. Uh, and another defensive back who was committed in January, but academic stuff, he had to figure that out, and now he's back. All on the defensive side of the ball, and every single one of those guys, they're going to need to play. So, I mean, that that is a lot of you have to get this evaluation right, and oh, by the way, he's got to move to town get acclimated with the team, learn the system, and be ready to play in three months. That is a lot to ask. The On paper, in the post-spring window, they've gotten better talent and personnel-wise for sure, but games aren't won on paper. How quickly can they acclimate will be the key 
that for this team, exceeding or underachieving in expectations. It's those seven guys, really, uh, will be the difference. A season ago, and, I, and and now we'll get the Ole Miss fans riled up here that are listening. I, I said Ole Miss would go 7-5. and five. I've had them losing to Kentucky. That was the only game that I missed. This year, I see them at 7-5 and five, again because we're replacing Kentucky with Georgia. And I think they're just going to lose the same games they lost a season ago. I think they'll lose to A&M. I'm sorry, not, not A&M. I think they'll lose to LSU, Alabama, Arkansas, and Mississippi State. I guess what my question is would be, Two years into this philosophy of we're just going to do the the, the the portal thing, if you're seven and five again, if you've lost to Mississippi State two years in a row, at, at some point do you have to adjust that? Do you have to go back to okay, we got to get some high school kids in here and develop them and try to keep them in here for and build up a, a, a roster that way, or do you just continue to do what you're doing? I think you're already kind of seeing it, uh, the, and I, all of the above can be true. This is a really good high school class in Mississippi. That helps. Um, I think the addition of Pete Golding has changed recruiting philosophy. Uh, he he's like got boots on the ground, if you will. I mean, he he's everywhere and, and grinding in recruiting this state and beyond. And I I think there might be some kind of I'm not going to do the Lane Kiffin's a changed man thing because uh, I want to see one offseason where he's not actively trying to get a different job uh, at a in-conference school before I believe the whole I'm changed now, I'm different kind of stuff. I, I don't buy that until I see it actually in action, but it does seem like they have altered their recruiting approach with this cycle. They are far more locked in on in-state guys, and they're getting a bunch of them. It's June. Uh, so there's a long way to go, but the, so far they're they're getting a bunch of them. They're in on a bunch of them. They're really engaged in high school recruiting. I think you're starting to see some uh, philosophy change uh, already. But uh, let's pretend for a second that you're wrong by one game and they go eight and four. Okay, ten and two, eight and four, eight and four at Ole Miss would be the best three season run since when? Fifty nine, sixty, sixty one. I mean, seriously, my head, you know, yeah. Johnny so, uh, I mean, Hugh Freeze went nine and three. What did he go? Eight and four? Or was it nine and three, were, nine and three, and he lost were, the Peach Bowl and won the Sugar Bowl, right? Isn't that what they did? Yes. So nine and four, 10 and three. and But then the next year they were five and seven. Five and seven. Yeah. So it would be the best three year run in Ole Miss football. I guess since, the year before that, they were eight and five. Right. So, so since the Freeze era, it would match the Freeze era, and that would be the best since before my dad was born. Mm-hmm. So if they do roll out another eight and four, you've got to look at that stretch as consistent and better than the school's done in the modern era. And so it's hard to question the philosophy. But the other side of that coin is, are you paying nine million dollars and then two million dollars for your defensive coordinator alone and doubling your recruiting budget and and doubling your support staff and, and investing millions and millions and millions of dollars like you've never done before? To go eight and four in consecutive years. Yeah, that's that that's that's the big question for Ole Miss is 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 the juice source the squeeze? Yeah, what point. an interesting balance that is, right? Because yeah. on the other they, side they, of the coin, states not spending as much. You know, they, they, I'm not saying they've gone cheap, but when you have a first year head coach, you know, you're not going to give him nine million dollars a year. I mean, I, I really do think if Leach were here, they probably would have bumped him up to like six point five seven, something like point, that, and and would have been totally justified. But yeah, state, you know. 
going to be towards the bottom end of that. But the results, you know, State won nine games last year, and this year we'll see what happens. But it, it, it between that and the, like I said, the difference in recruiting, State is still high school focused. They use the portal to fill holes here and there, but they're never going to recruit 15, 20 guys out of the portal in one class. It's just, they're just not going to do that. So it's, it's, it really does feel like, you know, as, as much as this rivalry is a, philosophical difference in every single conceivable way. Let's just add another one. The way these two programs are being built is is now added to all the other social and 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 philosophical constructs that surround the egg bowl rivalry. Well, I guess my, perceived, perceived uh social because uh, well yeah I, yeah because well I have anecdotal evidence. I haven't spent my entire life in Mississippi, but man in my neighborhood, in my neighborhood, there are Ole Miss flags and state flags everywhere. It's like we're in the same neighborhood. We mm-hmm. live in the same town. We work the same jobs, go to the same church. Yeah. And, and you guys are trying to tell me how different you are when, like, I've got my, my neighbor Tim down the street, big state fan, lives across the street from an Ole Miss alum. It's like, you guys tell me how different you are, but you're the exact same people, man. You cut your grass the same way, too. I, I see. I'm you. just saying. There's, there's differences, Borky. I'm just telling you. <laughs> um, I guess my, my 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 last question is this, you know, the Egg Bowl it comes it comes in in cycles, you know, State wins a couple, Ole Miss wins a couple. I truly believe neither team will ever fully separate from the other. That we will never see a time like we had in the '60s where State was a a, a consistent four or five win team and Ole Miss was a consistent eight nine win team. I just I just don't think those days are are ever going to happen. Can these two programs at least thrive? to the point of, you know, everybody's happy together. Can, can we have a time where Ole Miss and State are both winning eight, nine games a year and everybody's pretty happy about it? Or is there always just going to be this, you know, this cycle of, okay, Ole Miss is down, but State is up, and and, and then it comes back around? Oh, that's a great question. Oh, man, that's a great question. Uh, I've, I've thought that the two can't play, like, high-level football at the same time. Mm-hmm. Consistently. Now I know what 2014 was, but I'm talking yeah. about on an annual basis. That's not. I mean, what happened two years later? They were both exactly five and seven. Uh, so I don't know if that's possible. I, I do. I, I'm curious to see, and I know it's your favorite topic in the world. When the dust settles on all this, like there's an SEC contingency, including Nick Saban and Walker Jones from the Grove Collective. Did State send a representative? Is Zach Ar- Selman there? Is Arnett's there? So Zach Arnett's there. Um, if they can get anything done, whatever happens, because they're not going to sit back and just let it be as it is. Things are going to change depending on who changes it. Somebody's going to. If the du- When the dust settles, I'm curious to know what that will look like, because I think approaching an era where there is at least a perceived attempt to balance resources, that's where Ole Miss and State can, can catch up. Because Ole Miss and Mississippi State will never have the resources of Texas A&M unless a bunch of you guys start striking oil at your hunting property. Like there, there's just that that will never exist. But if there is a way that they can balance the scales a little bit, yes, they've got a big stadium, but as we've seen, what does Texas A&M have that, that we don't have here in Mississippi? What, what do they have in terms of history and even like the campus and the town and stuff. I mean, you've been to College Station. What yeah. what, what what do they have that that can't be obtained here? The difference is they've got all this expendable money 
without a limit on it. If they right. can find a way to have some level of balance, you'll see that come up. Because when you go to Starkville, when you go to Oxford, and you go to Tuscaloosa, what's the difference? What's the difference? Yeah. I mean, it's it's just... it's just They're college towns. Yeah, they're just college towns. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the only difference is... I mean, like Tuscaloosa. I mean, if you, I don't, you know, I'm old enough that I went to Tuscaloosa in '97, and 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 you know, like it's, it's Tuscaloosa in '97 isn't that much different than Starkville is today, because Starkville has grown, but Tuscaloosa has grown at that ex- exponential rate because of Nick Saban and because of you know they they, yeah. they their students and their money's pouring in. Yeah, it's why I always reference back to the NFL. I mean, tell tell me what New Orleans is like compared to Los Angeles. Yeah. That the media market, the money, the the businesses, the investments, all that. But those two football teams are on the exact same playing field. And college football should strive to to find ways to make that part of what they offer. Because if it was just if the NFL was structured like college football, the Saints would lose and the Bills would lose every single year, every game they play. It, they they would always lose because you would have these big markets with all this money and all these resources that would just take over. That would be college football. But instead, the Saints can build rosters that are really good, and the Rams can build rosters that are really bad, and vice versa, equally. We'll see what happens. This, like I said, philosophical differences. I've always said this about State and Ole Miss. I know you're not a big Harry Potter guy. At least I don't think you are. But there's a quote in there: "Neither can live while the other survives." I've always believed I've always believed it was a zero sum game with Mississippi State and Ole Miss. We'll see if it can be a little different. Both teams won, you know, eight regular season games a year ago. We'll see what what this season brings. And of course, we'll see what the egg bowl brings and all that comes with it. We're 12 weeks away from the start of college football, which means we're 25 weeks away from the egg bowl. Plenty of time to talk about that. I'm sure we'll do it on Sports Talk Mississippi with Michael Borky. Thanks, man. Appreciate your time. Anytime. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.